0: Let's give our kids a warm uh, encouragement as they head off to church. And as they transition to church, what I'd like us to do is I just want us to come into a time of prayer, just a short, robust prayer to uh, position ourselves to, uh, to, to kind of be ready to receive this word today. So let's just close our eyes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you're wanting to impart, Lord, good teaching and wisdom into our heart. Father, I declare that this is a spiritual home. I declare that this is not just forever church, but this is forever house. And I thank you, Lord, that eternally you are raising up sons and daughters, Lord, in your spiritual house. And I thank you, Lord, um, as a father anointing in this place, Lord, that your word brings in good principles and good teaching, Lord, to develop character. Lord, to develop quality in people. Lord, as we're being raised up, we're becoming more and more like you. And I pray an anointing be upon this word, Lord, to bring such a result. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. And so this morning, I've got a message titled, The uh, Unmistakable Quality. And uh, when we talk about quality and something that's unmistakable, is when something's unmistakable, it's very evident, Okay, it's very clear, it's very obvious. If something is unmistakable, it's evident, it's clear, it's obvious, it's apparent, it's very much showing itself to be, it's kind of showing off in a way. So an unmistakable quality, something about a quality that God wants to build within his people is this key word and this phrase that I like to call loyalty. And loyalty is an unmistakable quality that God wants to build into His people. God wants His people to be loyal towards Him. He wants His people to be loyal towards His church. He wants His people to be loyal towards His word, loyal towards the truth, the real truth. All right, let's now talk about the unmistakable quality. So the New World Dictionary of American English defines a loyal person as one who is faithful to those persons, ideals, etc. That one is under obligation to defend, to support, or be loyal to. Is this whole message all about being loyal? Is it, am I all, all talking about the gay marriage thing? No, that's just something that just happened on the weekend before, uh, that happened after I was preparing this, but it ties in nicely. Being loyal to the truth and the, excuse me, and the word of God. Uh, being someone of faithfulness or faithful adherence to a person, a government, a cause, a duty, and so on and so forth. What we want to do is let's go to Nehemiah, and I'm going to look at Nehemiah in chapter 4, verses 1 to 14, or 1 to 13. I'm going to read this particular part of Scripture in Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. This is the story of Nehemiah, who was a man of God called to lead his family, his spiritual family, the Jewish people, to make sure that they were uh, all working together to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It's a great story about unity, it's a great story about family, it's a great story about friendship, it's a great story about loyalty, working together for a particular cause that everyone believes in. And also it's a great story that highlights that when you do that, there will be an attack that will come to try and break down the very thing that you're joining or uniting with people or called to be loyal with people with and what you're called to build. And so it says here in verse 1, chapter 4, but it so happened when... Sambalai heard that we were rebuilding. So this is actually Nehemiah writing these words. So Nehemiah is actually speaking in first person. But it so happened when Sambalai heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious. So this is the enemy of God's people. He was furious, one of these key leaders in the land. He heard about that the people were going to unite, they were going to be loyal to God and rebuild the walls of, of Jerusalem, and he was furious. He didn't like it. So immediately, their whole plan, they haven't even started their plan yet, but persecution came straight away. That he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. Sounds interesting, doesn't it? And he spoke before his brothers and the army of Samaria and said, so this is the actual guy who was against the Jews. Not only did he hear about it, but then he said to all of his people and his army and he started to rally them against The very work of God that Nehemiah had felt to lead. And this is what the guy said, the enemy said. He said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? (laughs) Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? Stones that are burned? (laughs) Like he's just absolutely mocking them, using mockery to actually raise up an army against the people of God. And now Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him. So he had another guy right beside him and said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So think about a fox. A fox is quite a nimble little animal. It's not really uh, fat or heavy. Not like a bull, is it? You think about a fox, it's quite light. He's saying even when a fox goes on, on top of the stone walls that they're building, it will crumble. Now, I want you to understand this. I don't usually have dreams that I remember. Okay, Sarah has dreams all the time. That's how God speaks to her. So when my wife says, honey, I had a dream, I go, what was it? Because I know that God speaks to her through dreams. But when I, I know that a dream, but when I remember dreams, then I know that God's trying to talk to me because I very rarely remember dreams. I had a dream just recently and uh, our house in uh, Cornubia, There was, I I woke in the dream. I woke up, so I didn't actually physically woke up, but I was still dreaming. But in the dream, I wake up from my sleep, Sarah's still asleep, and I can hear there's like something running around the boundaries of our home. And I go downstairs, and it's very dark at night. And as, but the sun is starting to actually rise, and so I can start to figure it out a little bit. And there's this very, very large, like a massive fox. Like it's like a fox that's been on steroids with a big, you know. (laughs) big angry fox. And it's running all around our boundary. Anyway, it's trying to get in to our side door. And, um, and I noticed that the side door there, it's kind of, it's trying to you know, get in there with its muzzle. And, and I asked the Lord in my dream, I said, God, what do you want me to do? And he said, as the muzzle comes in, you grab a hold of the muzzle, you hold it shut so it can't snap or have a go, and you wrestle with it and you keep it at bay, you keep it out from the door, from entering the territory of your home to protect your family. And so, as the muzzle of the fox enters in this door, and I mean, I'm literally not grabbing; which is my two hands. I'm wrapping my whole um, arm around it like this to try and keep it locked. And it's like it's getting angry. It's like I'm like, and it stank. I remember it really stank, like it had been rolling in dirty mud or something, and I'm like, Urgh. and I just heard the voice the Lord say, hang on, don't let the jaws open, hang on, don't let the jaws open, because if the jaws open, it will have a go at you, you'll get injured, it'll knock you backwards, and it will get in the house, don't let it get in the, get in the house, and then, so then I woke up, and I felt the Lord say this, pray right now for the foxes that are trying to come in. And I felt like the Lord would like to release just an encouragement here today to understand that in this time as a church is important that we all actually just take responsibility for our lives and particularly our thought life and our relationships with each other and our loyalty with each other. And we've got to be careful that the little foxes, what does the little foxes represent? All the little annoying things sometimes that rub each other us up against each other. You know, the little, oh, he said that or he didn't do that or She's, she didn't do that or and all those. Little things that can get in your headspace and can get you going against the very people that you're called to be loyal with, to partner with, to build the very house of God that you're planted in. Watch this. The very foxes that sometimes come around you, when you don't take discipline of them, even though sometimes when you release them. So if you start niggling and you might think that that might actually be an attack or having a go at other people, but at the end of the day, it always comes back to bite you in the bottom bigger. So if you don't manage the foxes in your life, um, it actually will end up biting you in the bum more than the people that maybe it's launched towards. Can I hear a big fat amen? Amen. So I feel at this time it's really important because even practically, I mean, we're, we're, we're a bit like nomads at the moment. We're in this temporary location. Right? When, when, you know when you're in like a nomad in a tent, it's fun for a couple of weeks and then you start to think, I'm over this. <laughs> all right? I'm smelling, I can't have my shower, I have to do all this. Everything's hard work. Okay? When we're in a temple, like Acacia, everything's hard work. Can I tell you, our building is coming. But can I tell you also that God's releasing a new blueprint right now, and God is saying that moving forward, our identity as a church is going to even solidify, where He's raising up a very strong forever house. I get the word forever house. We are a local church, but there's this thing in my heart right now, forever house, as in a household of faith that's eternally designed to raise up people, but also it's about going to that next level as a home, and I feel today, as a father of the house, to bring this teaching on loyalty. A big part of our DNA of our family is loyalty. Can I tell you that right now? And it's not something that I've created myself. It's something that we've actually inherited from Greg and Julie. The loyalty that they've built in their family. And it doesn't matter what goes on. We stick together. We fight through it together. We're there until the very end. Loyalty is a big part of the kingdom family. Having a characteristic, a quality, an unmistakable quality to know that, yes, there's loyalty being birthed on the inside of people is something that will not only bless you, your family, but also your spiritual family. And in Nehemiah, we see these people that are speaking against the people of God. Whatever they build, even a fox goes up on it. He will break down their stone wall. That's what they were speaking over it. Hear, O God, for we are despised. So now Nehemiah is responding. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. So now Nehemiah, who's hearing the gossip and the slander and the mockery of the people of God, who God has designed to be loyal to each other, to unite together, to do something for the work of the kingdom of God, to restore the things of God in a land that have become fallen and evil and bitter. And the the, the enemy rose up and started mocking and having a go and said, whatever you do, it's all going to fall apart anyway. And so Nehemiah calls on the Lord as his defender. He rises up in his authority and calls on the Lord, the Lord of justice, the great judge, to defend the people of God. Hear, O God. Hear it, O God. Hear what they're saying, God. Who knows that your God knows everything that's spoken against you, even in private, where no one else knows about it, not even you know about it. The Lord is your defender. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. So don't hide their shame or hide their evilness, reveal it. And do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. And so Nehemiah goes on. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. So he's saying the people worked hard. The people of God over here were working hard. They were loyal. They were, even though they were hearing all this mockery, they stick to it. And he goes on, he says, Now it happened when Sambalit, the big mockery guy, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored when they started to hear that even all their mockery and all their cursing and all their intimidation was not actually impeding on the work of the Lord. When they started to hear this, they heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. And then Nehemiah says, Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. So even though, not only did they start going, Oh, are you... And then Nehemiah was like... Oh. And they're like... Oh, they're they're actually making something happen. My goodness, the walls are... Oh, my goodness, it's actually happening. Right. Guys, we can't just have a go with them and intimidate. We're going to have to go in there and actually push these walls over. We're going to have to attack them. Right? So this is what's happening. And so now Nehemiah responds to the fact that they're going to go in and try and attack them. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. This is what's important right now in this season is set a watch against the enemy in your home, in your mind, in your heart, in your church. Set a watch. Like Nehemiah, not that our, our church was destroyed or anything like that, but we're transitioned from a building. In, we're in a transition period and we're going into the promised land. And so it's even more important to guard and protect and to watch your church family to have a shepherding anointing being activated in your heart and being a guard upon making sure that we stick together and we stay loyal to each other. And then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. So they've set a watch, they start praying, they're praying to God. And then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. There is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall.'" And then the adversary said they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So they're starting to grow a little bit tired. They're feeling the atmosphere. They're feeling the intimidation. They're having to continue doing the work while having to combat the atmosphere. Right, And they're praying to their God, so they're into seeing. they're on the watch, they're fighting, but they're still having to labor, they're still having to do it. So because they're having to fight in the atmospheres, but they're still having to do the work practically, they're growing tired naturally. And so the enemy is starting to go, "Ah, yeah, we're starting to get in there. And so our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. The enemy felt like they didn't really, the people of God didn't really know was going to happen that they were in the dark and so it was when the jews who dwelt near them came that they told us 10 times from whatever place you turn they will be upon us and therefore this is nehemiah saying therefore i position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings and i set the people according to their families with their swords their spears and their bows so as nehemiah picked up on the strategy of the enemy nehemiah then made a big decision everyone say decision everyone say decision again. He actually positioned the people to actually utilize the greatest weapon that God had given those people. And what was it? Loyalty. He started to position the people in certain areas around the wall and he positioned them in family groups. Everyone say family groups. Because he knew that if he could use the family anointing, if he could use the family um, respect for each other, the loyalty, they would hang on. Even if the enemy was approaching, they would hang on and they wouldn't pull apart. They wouldn't freak and going, oh, you fend for yourself. No, you fend for yourself. Get out of here. That they would stick and they would hold. You know that great scene in the gladiator where they joined together. And, and he's got that idea and, and he's like, hold. Hold. Don't pull apart and just try to fend for yourself. This is where the enemy tries to get in. This is where the foxes get in. Where you, for whatever reason, in your rejection, your loneliness, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever your personal battle is, if you start to get convinced that you're going to be better off fending for yourself, going your own way, doing your own thing, not actually sticking together, not actually working past the problem or the offense, whatever it is that you have with someone in your church, in your family, but actually sticking at it and working through. If the enemy can convince you to actually walk off and be isolated, then... More likely he's able to take you down. But guess what? It's never obvious. If it was obvious, people wouldn't do it. In the last days, things won't be obvious. Things will always seem, oh, well, that kind of sounds like a good idea. Let's just go with the crowd. Therefore, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Families fighting with each other. Families fighting together against a common enemy. Sometimes we're so distracted fighting against each other. And I'm not talking about physically. We all love each other. But sometimes in your headspace, in your heart, You will actually be fighting against a brother or sister that you're called to be loyal to. Come on now. It's about managing and taking responsibility for your thought life and for the condition of your heart. Do you know if you're actually warring against a brother or a sister in the Lord in your heart or in your mind? First of all, don't be shamed by that because you're human. You're not a robot. If you were a robot, God could just program us and everything would be perfect. All right, But you're a human being, so you have the flesh and you have the spirit. So don't shame yourself if you have a moment where you start thinking bad thoughts about someone in your spiritual family or even your family itself. But it's about what do you do with that thought? What do you do with that little um, arrow that comes in? Do you actually um, grab a hold of it and go, let's dance for four hours and have some fun? Meaning, do you meditate on it, and meditate on it, and meditate on it, and chew it, and chew it, and so it actually becomes um, something that's more like a fox going, or do you discern what it is? And so we see Nehemiah putting together a defense beginning with the individual households, the individual families, because he knew that the loyalty and dedication began there. Now, even if you don't have a family where it's a perfect example of loyalty, that's okay because that's even a greater reason why you want to model your life and get involved in a spiritual family to learn what that looks like and what that feels like. And how do you create a pathway of being able to navigate around that so then you can bless your family and bring the principles and everything that you've learned from that into your family. Can I tell you right now, I just feel to just to say this to you, because God has literally been putting this in my heart, forever house, forever house, forever house, forever house. We are building a house. We are building a home. We're building a family we're building an anointing. We're building a unity. We're building a loyalty. We're raising up our children. We're raising up our physical children. We're raising up our spiritual children. We're bringing teaching. We're bringing values. We're bringing principles. We're bringing practical ways of how do we do life. We're raising up a family of excellence. We're raising up a family of love. We're raising up a family of encouragement. We're raising up a family of nurturing. We're also raising up a family of discipline. We're also raising up a family of Correction. Forever house. And so Nehemiah was calling upon them to base their loyalty to their families and their brethren on loyalty and faithfulness. The faith that God would be faithful to his covenant promises. And so their loyalty to each other was also strengthened based on their faith in God that each of them had. And that's why they stuck it out. And the Jews are willing to faithfully guard their compatriots, their other fellow brothers and sisters, even the ones that they weren't blood related to. But he's got the family unit which represented loyalty to be those anchor points. Loyalty was the key thing that Nehemiah used to protect the very thing that God was building. Loyalty was the key thing that God used and asked Nehemiah to use to protect the very work of the God. Loyalty was the key thing that God used. My challenge to you, where is your tank of loyalty at to do with your own family, to do with the call of God on your life, to do with the truth of God, to do with your relationship with Christ, to do with your relationship with your local church family? Let me just say this. This nation here has three levels of government. Some other nations have two levels of government, using the Western society, federal and more like, for example, in the UK, they don't have state government. They have federal and they have county Is that correct, Rita? Ah, That's what I heard, just double checking. And so in Australia, we have three levels of government. We have federal, we have state, and we have local government. Let me say this. Sometimes people's loyalty isn't strengthened in relation to their local church because they are so focused on the kingdom that they use it to justify their kind of not so solidified loyalty to their local church. What is that like? It's kind of like saying, I really want to follow and believe in the laws of the land here in this nation of Australia, and so I honor and I'm loyal to the federal government laws. But you know what? I don't really have as much loyalty to the local council laws, so I might actually park at the wrong place and get a parking ticket because I don't really respect it that much. But all oh, the federal laws, the laws of the land that govern the entire nation, It's big and it's grand and it's macro and it's awesome. But then I don't really have the same level of respect for my local council laws. Can I say that that analogy is a perfect example of the limitation in people's hearts in Christendom when they're all about the kingdom. But yet in their heart, they still haven't dealt with some personal issues to do with coming under the authority of the local church. And let me say this. Until people wrestle and actually break through in that, they never really will come into fulfillment in their calling in the kingdom because they're not in alignment and in the order of God's authority, which is local church first, then next level. Next. I've always said this. When people actually are positioned for kingdom calling, they have, have sowed season upon season to actually show God they're loyal to the local church government authority that God has planted them in first. Loyalty. Don't be deceived. And so Nehemiah uses this principle to establish a strategy to get the job done. They were family and they were brethren. And Nehemiah said, fight for your brothers. Fight for them. And this is the attitude we should have in our relationship with our brothers and sisters in our local church. The Hebrew word translated into the English as fight here in verse 14 is a much fiercer and it's a much uh, more intense word than just the English translation of fight. The word fight here in verse 14 actually means this to eat, to consume to war against, to eat, to devour. It seems to have been even, it's like talking about expressing violence against the enemy in war as in an absolute determination to conquer the enemy. That's what the word fight means. It's the same word that Joshua used when he said, when he talked about, he says to the Canaanites, they are bread for us, as in we're going to take them down. It's a tenacity. Can I tell you, your loyalty in your heart towards your family, your local church family, whatever it is, there has to be a warfare thing about it. You have to be someone who wants to fight for your family. I know right now there are people who have given us feedback that they feel a call to intercede. Is that because we're in a, not in a very good place? No, we're actually in a great place. That's why the enemy, we're in a place where we know who we are. We know what we're wanting to build. But we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful about allowing the foxes to come in because loyalty is one of the biggest weapons that's a part of our momentum, particularly when we go in the new building and we start to continue to build. So if you've been feeling attacked, let me just say this. You've been feeling a bit bombarded with some some little foxes, been trying to come in and, and. You've been wanting to sit someone aside and go. You know what? I just don't know why this is happening. I just don't know why this isn't happening. I'm just a bit annoyed. Can I encourage you that the person you should be talking to is the person you have a fence with? Ooh. Let me say it again so no, one missed it. The person that you should be talking to, the Bible clearly teaches that, is the person that you should actually have the offense with. Don't be talking to someone else about it. And if you use this little weak excuse that sometimes the body of Christ have heard, oh, but I just don't feel like I can go to that person. I just don't feel like they're approachable. Fooey. You're just a bit scared because if you actually bring it up to that person, they might not agree with you and it might kind of get a bit confrontational. Well, that's healthier than justifying, oh, no, I'm just going to go and speak to this person. He'll Always tell me what I want to hear and pat me and go, oh, you poor thing. Because it's safer, it's more comfortable. The destiny of the foxes. Let's talk about this. Let me talk about loyalty. Loyalty is not the absence. So we've looked at Nehemiah and understanding as a scriptural example how loyalty was used as a strategy to build the things of God. So let's talk about the destiny of the foxes. The things that try and come in and, and, and come against loyalty. Loyalty is not the absence of disloyalty. Let me say this again. Loyalty is not just the absence of disloyalty. Loyalty is a positive trait but not the absence of a negative one. So if you think, oh, well, I'm not disloyal, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a loyal person. Are you catching this? If you're not someone who's obviously disloyal, it doesn't necessarily still necessarily mean you're loyal. So let me say, it is a positive trait, not the absence of a negative one. Let me say it again so everyone's getting it. Loyalty is a very clear, positive, warfare, attacking, proactive, I'm loyal, I'm fighting for my church. I'm fighting for my pastor. I'm fighting for my life group. I'm fighting for my team. I'm fighting for my family. I'm on board. And no one and nothing is going to move me out of the way. It's a warfare thing. That's what loyalty is. It's not like, oh, well, you know, I don't really say anything at all. It's not passive. So just because you're not necessarily disloyal doesn't actually mean that you're loyal. This is an important thing because when we talk about Jesus Christ and his relationship with the Father and how he related with the disciples, you know, we're going to look at this in a minute, but the very night that Jesus, just before he's going to go to the cross, he he is dripping sweat drops of blood. He is feeling the attack like he's never felt it since he's been born he is sweating blood. And where are his disciples? They are struggling to stay awake. And he rebukes them. You know, this Jesus that we sometimes label as the hippie loving Jesus. Oh, but Jesus wouldn't say anything horrible to people, would he? He would never rebuke people. He says, what are you doing? Can't you stay awake? Look, I'm about to go and He had challenged their loyalty. So, was it that they were like Judas? No. Were they like Judas and obviously being disloyal and going and telling everyone where Jesus was? No. Was Judas an obvious example of disloyalty? Absolutely. But was the disciples right there an example of absolute loyalty? No. Jesus rebuked them because they were just, oh, I can't quite keep my eyes awake, and poor Jesus is in the garden praying to the Father, absolutely sweating blood, and needs desperate intercession, and needs his team and his people to be on board 100% behind him. And so he rebukes them, because no, they weren't obviously dislawed, but they really weren't quite cutting the mustard in that crucial moment. And so the destiny of the foxes Loyalty is not the absence of disloyalty. It's a positive trait, not the absence of a negative one. In other words, a person is not necessarily loyal because he's not disloyal. There is some ground between loyalty and disloyalty. Perhaps we could say there is loyalty, and then there's uh, loyalty, and then there's disloyalty. So the uh, loyalty is kind of lukewarm. It's not disloyalty, but it's not really full-on Loyal. Perhaps we could say there is loyalty, unloyalty, and disloyalty. So disloyalty criticises. Unloyalty is silent. But loyalty defends. So both loyalty and disloyalty are vocal. Our loyalty is silent. Passive. Sitting on the fence. Loyalty never allows one word of criticism about the anointed leader. Does that person sometimes not agree with everything? Yes. If they have a personal offense or an issue, what would that loyal person do? Go and speak to the very person they have an issue with and not use excuses. Are they not very approachable as a naff excuse as to why they didn't go and talk to them? That's what a loyal person would do. So no, loyalty never allows one word. And again, it's not just about that person, but it's about if someone's having a go with someone that you know you're called by God to protect, to be loyal with, then a loyal person actually defends that person right there and then. Says, you know, actually what you're saying, I completely disagree with. Maybe you've experienced something different, but I would I would say to you, you need to be careful what you say here because it's actually quite disrespectful. And I'm going to leave it at that, and I'm going to walk away. Defense. Loyalty never allows for one word of criticism about that anointed person or that person that you're called to be loyal to. It is, com- it is complete defense and support. It not only never says, oh, did you hear about this? Or, but it also does not listen to. So it never, it never says, oh, did you hear about blah, 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 blah. Never says that. But it also does not listen to this. Oh, did you hear about blah, blah, Doesn't get involved, doesn't listen. will cut it off. It does, loyalty does not participate in criticism with the tongue or the ear. So not about speaking but actually listening to it and giving it an audience. That's not loyal. It does not give itself to satisfaction of criticizing. So if you actually have, a, if you kind of get off a little bit privately on the inside of maybe seeing someone not being 100% perfect, you go, hmm, goody. Didn't quite meet the mark there, did they? Hmm. There's an issue of loyalty deep on, on the inside. Because Lucifer was always looking for a way that he could mock God. I mean, God never made a mistake, and yet Lucifer still betrayed him. He didn't have anything, he couldn't claim anything against God. Just making out, well, why can't I be just as great as God? So it's about even the deepest little moments of our heart. It does not give itself satisfaction of criticizing, nor does it give a sympathetic ear which gives others the satisfaction of criticizing. So don't let us sit uh, this is this is not loyalty. Oh, did you hear that blah 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 I, I, I just don't, it just doesn't make sense to me. I don't really it just doesn't sit well with me. Oh, really? Okay. Hmm. All right, that's interesting. So by me doing, oh, okay, that's interesting. I'm not necessarily, you know, fully agreeing with them, but I'm not defending that person. Everyone can be talented. Everyone can have gifts. Sorry, let me rephrase that. I misspoke. Sound like Hillary Clinton. I misspoke. Everyone cannot be talented to the same level. We've all got different levels, right? But everyone can be loyal. Everyone can be loyal. Loyalty is one trait that is attainable by all. And can I tell you, it's an unmistakable quality that God wants to birth inside of you. He's looking for it. Disloyalty, let me go there. And I'll say this with as much conviction as I feel to by the Holy Spirit because I've been recently studying the character of Lucifer and why he fell and that he actually tore the the third of the army of the angels away from God, which then created that complete fall. And then we have this whole mess because he tempted Adam and Eve. It was Adam and Eve's responsibility, but they handed authority over to him. And then we have this fallen place called earth. But disloyalty was the reason why Lucifer fell. Another word for disloyalty is rebellion. But sometimes we think rebellion and this Lucifer thing, and it's all obvious. It's all obvious evil. Can I tell you that really the pure, purest most form of evil is when it's covered so craftily, it's just so deceived. It's deception. You know when you know that story of Snow White where the, the witch. Well the, the, the mother who wants to be the fairest of the land and she, she makes out she's this poor little insecure old lady with an apple. <laughs> she doesn't come out as the queen, eh, I'm more beautiful. Now take the apple so you can be poisoned and I'm gonna be the mo-. She's not obvious. <laughs> See, what's more evil is it's very deceptive. It's covered, it's masked, it's hidden, it's in the dark. See, if it was obvious, then there'd be some truth to it, and it doesn't have its power. But when it's masked and it's deceptive, it's like, Hello, pretty. Oh, you're so pretty, Snow White. I have this lovely apple. Mmm, it looks so tasty. Would you like it? Just a little bite. Oh, not the whole thing, just a little taste. (laughs) And when you're watching it, you're thinking don't, don't Snow White, no, she's evil, don't do it, right, and by seeing that crafty, deceptive thing, that's more evil, and this is what we've got to awaken to, church, that just the little tiny foxes, just the little tiny criticisms, just the little tiny comments that we either give ear to or we speak at ourselves, are these little tiny masts, little seeds of disloyalty. They bit by bit shift atmospheres, shift hearts, shift minds, and affect what God is trying to build. And God's calling you to be a steward of loyalty. And so disloyalty is the most Detestable and deplorable trait that a follower could have. Look at the story of Judas. Judas, do you know how he died? Who knows? He killed himself because he was led to insanity because of his guilt. Watch this. When Judas was actually at the table, knowing that he'd already whispered in the ears of the soldiers of where Jesus was and where they could get him in the garden, and he was sitting and looking in the very eyes of Christ while partaking in the last communion. This is the thing you've got to understand. Judas believed that he was doing the best thing for Christ. Do you understand that? Yes, was he given money? Yeah, but Judas actually believed that Jesus um, was actually thinking he was better than what he was and he was actually going to, you know, Jesus actually, Judas thought that by putting, getting this all sorted out and actually getting the guys to take Jesus, he actually thought he was helping in a way. Was he also greedy and wanted money? Did he understand that? Yes, but in a way he was justifying Come on now. He was sitting there across from Jesus and he had justified what he'd done. He had persuaded himself that what he was doing was actually a good thing. That is deception and that is pure evil. That's why you've got to be mindful that you get wise counsel. Make sure that you're not deceived. And so I want to leave this with you. In terms of also being loyal because it's respecting your future. If you allow foxes, if you allow yourself to be a vehicle of foxes, there's destiny of those foxes. And it's going to come back, as I said before, and bite you on the bottom. More so than the foxes that they were released to actually bite. Respect your future. Disloyal disloyalty usually means, well, let me say this, disloyal followers are seldom given loyal followers when they become leaders. Let me say that again. And I'm not just talking about ministry. I'm talking about anything to do with what you're called to do. You could be sitting there praying, God, God, position me in leadership one time. God, I want to, I see this, I have a dream. And we encourage that. Have a dreams, believe, see yourself in a place that's better than what you are now. Believe that you've got a calling, an anointing. We encourage that. But can I say that? It's one thing to be praying for that and praying for that and praying for promotion, wherever it is, in the workplace, marketplace. But if you're sowing disloyalty or if you're just unloyalty, it will negatively impact you. In practically every case, the damage is far more to the disloyal follower than to the criticized leader. Criticism always hurts the critic more than the criticized. Hatred always hurts the hater more than the hated. Gossip always hurts the gossiper more than the one about whom he gossips or she gossips. The disloyal follower always stands to lose more than he takes from the accused leader. There is also a law of sowing and reaping. In the Bible, we are reminded that everything is reproduced after its own kind. Over and over again in the book of Genesis, we find everything has in itself its own seed to bring forth its own kind. This is true not only in the physical, but also in the emotional, in the personality, in the character, in the spiritual. The teacher who criticizes the principal will have pupils who criticize him. God has a way of letting our chickens come home to roost. God will not be mocked. Not only does the subordinate usually lose but he or she is also forming a habit of being disloyal they will hound him or her for the rest of their lives I've seen it happen Look at Abraham and Lot Lot and his herdsmen became disloyal to Abraham Lot chose for himself the best land but look at the life of heartache that followed when as a follow-up one is disloyal, he is usually as a leader suspicious of those who work under him for he has developed a life pattern which leads to failure and stifled success. Just, Everyone just say this for me. Reality check. I just gave you some Brussels sprouts. It doesn't taste fantastic, but it's healthy. <laughs> Chew on it a little bit. Don't spit it out. Chew on it. It's good. And then this is a spiritual home. We're raising good, strong disciples. Sometimes it's good for to be feeding Brussels sprouts. We can't all have candy. All right, I'm going to ask Jason to come. Pastor Jason, thank you. There's so much more. I mean, I could do a whole teaching on this even more, but um, I just want to finish with some other quick thoughts, and then we're going to close today. I want to go back to that example of Jesus in the garden before he went to the cross. You know, what I find in Christendom sometimes, and I think this is going to accelerate more and more as we all start to realize, and we don't know how many years it is, it could be years way beyond when we all die, but we are definitely in the end times. There's no doubt about it. And the problem with sometimes with the end times is the Bible teaches that people will fall away because they'll just be led by their feelings, and their emotions, and the very thing that's anti-community Which is just, well, this is what I want to do. This is what I think I want to do. This is what I feel like doing. And I think sometimes it can come into the church, even these days, it starts to come into the church where people love the hype of ministry. They love the lights. They love the atmosphere. They love the excitement of God moving and the word and people getting saved and prophetic words and... You know, we're building an army against the enemy. But but do people really know what it takes? See, everyone loves the hype. They love the fire. They love the excitement. But not many people like the work and the commitment. Are you a committed follower of Christ is my challenge to you. Maybe today you've come here with a friend or a family member and you may not know Jesus. Can I tell you that there are so many benefits to giving your life to God? First of all, He designed you. He created you. He's the author and the finisher of your life. He knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb, the Word of God says. And that means that He knows the very DNA and the gifts and the callings inside of you even before you were born. That means that He had a plan and a purpose and a blueprint of what He had for you to do as a mission and assignment on planet Earth. Amazing life that Christ died on the cross broke his back, broke his body, shed his blood, took all of the sin of the world on him, separated himself from the loving touch of the Father so that we could actually freely run into the presence of God. He rose again on the third day. He broke the backbone of the power of sin and death. He's given us the gift of eternal life. And all he asks is that we would accept him and call him Lord and Savior. But the truth is, the full truth, is that when we say yes to Christ, He asks for us to follow Him, not just a couple of weeks, not just a couple of months, but He asks us to follow Him until we meet our Maker in heaven. He asks us to commit, to be loyal. Sometimes we fall down, but He'll reach out and He'll say, you know what, I'm here, I'm helping you to stand back up. But He's also asking you, To not just be loyal to him, but to be loyal to his bride, to his church, that he died for. Everything in nature has to put down roots and weather the storms in order for it to grow and to get stronger. It's easy to miss God's will if all you follow is the excitement. If you miss the understanding of how critical it is to actually find a local church and get planted, so that you can grow strong and tall and be raised up. In Matthew twenty-six, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and in it, he his last hours upon earth, and his crucifixion is very soon, and he is in agony. The Bible teaches that it's absolutely hard work for him to just stay composed. He's sweating great drops of blood. He's afraid, but he knows that he just doesn't, he doesn't want to do what the father's asking him to do. He even pleads with the father, if it be okay, please release me from this assignment. But the father says, no, I need you to go to the cross. And he obeys. But it's a tough night. It's a sleepless night. It's a full-on night for Jesus. He's shedding blood on the ground. And so he asks his disciples to pray with him for one hour. Just one hour, the Bible teaches. And it was hard for them, the Bible says, to stay awake because they were tired. The devil was out to kill Jesus that night. The atmosphere, the spirit, it was like everything of hell was surrounding that garden to try and convince Christ to not go to the cross. And so Jesus had to intercede and connect with the Father so the Father could strengthen Jesus to continue, enable him to keep going to the mission of the cross. And so in that moment, Jesus looked for his support. He looked for his team. He looked for the people that the Father had positioned around him. And yet they were finding it difficult to stay awake and they were tired and it was hard work and the devil was out to kill jesus and he made it hard for the disciples to pray that there was a there was an atmosphere there was a demonic atmosphere around the disciples it was heavy Can I tell you that it wouldn't have been a very exciting night? Can I tell you that it wasn't the same time when Jesus was making fish into 5,000 fish and loaves and Jesus was turning water into wine. It wasn't the same type of atmosphere when Jesus was raising people from the dead, when Jesus was healing lepers, when there was an excitement and a hype about how cool it is to be following this Jesus. No, it was a test of what was on the inside of them. Are they just with Jesus for the fun, for the excitement, for the applause, for all the great fun stuff of ministry? Or are they on board because they'll follow Christ to the very end? And this is Jesus' words. He says, can't you wait Wait for me even one hour before you go to sleep. Can't you just wait for one hour? So let me say this: that life is not all about the shout. You hoo! Yummy Jesus! That's the good stuff. That's the good parts. But it's not all about that. It's about the blood and sweat and tears. It's about loyalty, church. And so my catch try to you today as we finish is learn to put down some roots and grow where God plants you. If all there was to serving Jesus was just going to church and shouting and having a good time, Can I tell you, we wouldn't have a problem finding people who wanted to accept Christ and live right before God and to stay committed to the local church and to serve the church faithfully. We wouldn't have a problem. But being a Christian requires more, requires a total commitment to Christ, even when things aren't exciting, even when the shout is calmed down, even when we just get discouraged, even when we feel like giving up. Pull your roots down and grow up so God can use you in the future. Don't be a Christian tumbleweed that just blows around and just gets blown by everything, stick, be loyal, commit. That's where this real kingdom stuff is at. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for us to start to afresh, say, you know what, God, I want that unmistakable quality on the inside of me. I want to be a loyal follower. I want everyone to stand in their feet here this morning. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you're releasing right now a charge in the Spirit. Father God, that even though things are exciting and miracles and the anointing, oh God, but Lord, you'd release, Lord, a conviction and an understanding, Father, that we're called, Lord, for such a time as this, Lord, to stick and to stay and to build and to fight for each other. And I thank you, Lord, that our people here, Father, if they've been hindered, if they've been held back, if they've been attacked, whatever it is, Father, right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray for a loosening of the atmosphere around our spiritual family. Right now, I pray for a shaking of the Holy Spirit. Right now, I pray right now, Father, for a release, Lord, of vision that this is a forever house. This is a household of faith. And I declare right now, Lord, release a conviction of loyalty and strength on the inside in the name of Jesus. And I declare right now, if there's been justification, if there's been excuses for why people are saying things in the name of Jesus, I break off that atmosphere, I break off that deception right now, and I declare, Lord, a freedom on the inside in people's lives. In Jesus' name, let us put your hands out like this. I hear the Lord saying this, that your heart right now in this moment, let it be an altar, and lay down whatever it is. that maybe have been stopping you from cultivating the quality of loyalty. Lay it down, says the Lord. Lay it down before me in your heart. Holy Spirit, pour in. Pour in. I hear the Lord say, as you lay it down, I'm going to come in. I'm going to bring healing, says the Lord. But I hear the Lord say this. Remember, I'm a gentleman. I can't force you. It's your decision. Lay it down. Holy Spirit, pour in. Fill. Fill people's hearts with a confidence in you, Christ, in you, Jesus, that you're faithful to the very end, God fill them right now lord fill them up jesus beautiful god pour in lord hear the lord say this i'm making people whole here i'm making people whole god says i'm just slowly tearing off some cobwebs Tearing off some cobwebs from some people's thinking. I thank you, Jesus, for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. We just love you, Lord. We love you, beautiful God. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here this morning, Jesus as you just finish off that transaction right now that Prophet Greg talked about, just that last little moment of it, Holy Spirit, and we just seal it right now in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, that we look to you always, God, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Let's give God a clap offering here.